The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Welcome in to the Titan-Sized Podcast. I am Luke Horsham, joined by uh, one of the other hosts of the Titan-Sized Podcast, Will Lomas, because Matthias Wadner is currently suffering from the flu, so he will not be with us today. He should be back by the end of the week for our uh, preview episode for when we talk about the Los Angeles Rams that are about to reenact Sherman's March on the Tennessee Titans at the end of the week. But uh, we'll we'll get to that later. But as for right now, we have the exclusive pleasure of recapping the Tennessee Titans' brutal defeat at the hands of the then 3-10 San Francisco 49ers. Uh, let's just start talking about the obvious before we, we dissect things. Jimmy Garoppolo... Wow, I, I was really impressed. He was he's he's legit. He's the real deal. Yeah, I mean Garoppolo. I mean I was impressed with everything he did. You know, I, I'm gonna blame the Titans coaching a lot later, so you know, put that in the back of your mind. But he slid around the pocket really well. There was a couple of times where he had five or more seconds to throw the ball, including one time in the red zone, which you just can't do. I mean. If you can get six seconds in the red zone, you're going to have somebody wide open. So, you know, I mean, his accuracy was great. His decision-making was great. I think he missed something like ten passes all yesterday, and he had and he had like three drops, and he had almost 400 yards. I mean, he was outstanding. And I have always been team don't trade with Bill Belichick because he's going to steal your picks and make you look stupid. But Bill got this one wrong. I mean – if, if he would have kept Garoppolo, and I'm assuming the only reason he traded him is because he knew that he couldn't sign him to a contract to be a backup anymore. But if he could have kept him, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Brady. I'm not saying anything like that. What I am saying is he had the rarest commodity in the NFL, which is a talented, cheap NFL quarterback. And there's, what, three of those right now? You know, four if you go, you know, outside out of the top 10 quarterbacks. So, I mean, I, I don't know if the 49ers are lucky or if Shanahan's just a really good coach or if it's just a mesh of all that stuff. But uh, congratulations to Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he looks outstanding. and It looks like they're on the right path, which is something I didn't think I would say two months ago before this trade had happened. Yeah, and, you know, he's been hyped up so much without even playing. And usually when that happens – Everyone is really disappointed when whoever it is actually does play. But in this case, I think I, anyway, was really surprised with the fact that, 
aside from the the throw that perhaps was intercepted by Eric Walden, where it really should have never left his hand. I mean, every throw had a purpose. He was throwing receivers open. He looked like he'd been doing it for a while. And, and we talk all the time about quarterback development, and I think that's a word and a phrase that's overused. But he clearly has been developed by Josh McDaniels and, and Bill Belichick, and even with help from Tom Brady and the staff in New England. Yeah, I mean, the one other kind of strange pass you could say was, you know, the well, there's two. The one uh, attempt at that deep ball that you know, would have foregone the field goal try and they would have scored a touchdown in the game, and then the one that Adoree dropped, you know, both of those are the other two that stick out in my head. But, I mean, he is a refined product right now, which, like I said, just doesn't come around very often. I, I, I don't know that, you know, saying a top 40 pick wasn't, you know, a steep price. But, I mean, he's just – he looks worth it. And, you know, we talked about guys having high expectations and not playing. I mean, it looks like he didn't have a big day against us because he only threw one touchdown and a lot of his drives ended in field goals. That's not his fault. I mean, guys drop balls. They couldn't run the ball on us, which is what the defense, I guess, is built on. Is They, they, stop- they also don't have a Delaney Walker or someone like that that's a threat to score when you get to the red zone. I mean, he, yeah, he, I mean, he's got Selleck and um, their other receiver whose name I can't think of right now. Um, Goodwin, Goodwin. Good, Marquise Goodwin. I mean, he's got those two guys and a bunch of guys who probably won't be on the roster next year, and everybody's buying in. You know, they're not worrying about precision routes, even though they're on their fourth and fifth wide receivers. I mean, that they, they are a fine-tuned machine, and he looks like the right operator for them. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk uh, – real quick, one last thing about Garoppolo. Uh, On that note, you mentioned they gave up a top 40 pick for him. So what the 49ers gave up for Jimmy Garoppolo is essentially going to end up being salary cap space and a second-round pick because when you draft a rookie quarterback at one or two, you pay them like five, six million dollars a year. But Jimmy Garoppolo is likely going to end up making – uh, probably close to $20 million, $18, $19 million a year. So they gave up a two in salary. When some teams, like the Eagles for Carson Wentz, uh, the Rams for Jared Goff, give up boatloads of picks and, and sort of hamper their future because of it. And so I, I think the 49ers made a really good move because they're going to still end up with a, a pick in the top half of the first round, even if they keep winning. And in addition to that, they're going to have all their twos. They're going to have the pick they stole from the Bears last year. Uh, they've really set themselves up well, and I like what they're doing with uh, with John Lynch and uh, and Kyle Shanahan. I almost called him Mike Shanahan. You know, it's, it's really weird because we're going to go from being afraid of the Cardinals and the Seahawks in that division to being afraid of the Rams and the 49ers in that division in, what, 16 months? I mean – you know, it wasn't too long ago that the teams that are about to be in the bottom two were winning 10 games a season, and now you've got the best offense in the NFL and the Rams, and you've got maybe the most exciting young team in terms of teams you're excited to watch going forward. You know, it it's so weird how the NFL can flip like that. And, I mean, we see it with the Jaguars now who are substantially better, and, you know, I, I hate it. It makes me mad, but – you know, in the NFL, 
one or two correct moves and, you know, personnel decisions can change everything in a franchise. So, you know, like I said, you know, congrats, congrats to them. So let's start talking about the Titans yesterday because they were very, very disappointing. And I think, honestly, you know, we'll get to the play call, you know, the elephant in the room. But I want to really talk about this defense that um, has been so good for the last three or four games. But they were terrible yesterday. They were really bad. They were getting carved up by receivers I'd never even heard of before. Like um, Bourne, that tight end Kittle, who was a late-round draft pick. I mean, it it was just – it wasn't good. It wasn't good enough. I think losing Logan Ryan probably had a lot to do with it. But even so, that kind of effort is unacceptable. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, I'd been eating my my words lately about how I didn't think Dick LeBeau was a good coach and how I thought – you know, his schemes were outdated and some of his methodology behind having, you know, linebackers cover receivers and running backs and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I would thought uh, maybe I was wrong. You know, it seems to be working now. It's it's absolutely not working now. We were just, just fooled by playing really bad quarterbacks. I mean, you can you may be able to beat Joe Flacco and Andy Dalton like that, but any sort of quality quarterback is just going to beat you up. And sometimes even the not quality quarterbacks. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to throw dirt on LeBeau's coaching grave or anything like that because he's shown that he can coach well enough to beat certain teams and beat them pretty well defensively. But, I mean, that was the second worst game we've seen all year, and the only reason it's not the first is because there was a game where they almost gave up 60 points. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was bad. I mean, with a couple – if – if uh, the 49ers trade for uh, Mari Cooper this offseason, who's not figuring it out there, and if they can get somebody like that in their building. Where'd that come then, from, Amari Cooper? So somebody somebody said, <laughs> this is a conspiracy theory. Somebody said that Amari Cooper and his, uh, he, he's not gelling with the offensive coordinator, and he and Derek Carr seem to not be clicking anymore, and that there's just not a ton of faith in him. Because like we said a few weeks ago, uh, the Raiders' leading receiver for a long time, and maybe even still now, is uh, Jared, Cook. Jared Cook, which it should never happen on a team with, my, team with Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper, but here we are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if Cook and Crabtree are getting more yards than Amari Cooper – and you're about to have to pay him, you know, twelve million dollars a year to keep him. Why not trade him? And somebody floated out the idea of uh, a first round swap for uh, Amari Cooper with the 49ers, and they would, you know, it, it would end up being a non playoff pick. So it's like a twelve pick move uh, projected or whatever. It, oh, long story short, it's a way for Shanahan to a real X receiver in his offense in a draft class without a real X receiver and where they're picking now, there's, you know, they're not, you know, although if they keep winning games, it may, you know, they may not pick in the top five, but you know, there's not a quarterback they would want. They've got that. They can keep Carlos Hyde. Who's their leading rusher and receiver right now in terms of receptions. So, you know, they, they have pieces on the defensive line. Like we talked about with Joe fan last week. I don't know a place where they really need a, a big impact player outside a wide receiver. Maybe a tight end. 
Yeah, but if if I told you you could have a Mari Cooper and he was on the outs and all it would cost you is a swap to the mid round and you could get a first round pick, let's say they end up with um, okay, let's say they end up with Roquan Smith and Amari Cooper in the first round and they have Roquan Smith and um, uh, it, they're a Reuben Foster and that's their linebacking pair behind Buckner. Armstead, who will come back, and Solomon Thomas with Eric Reed behind him. I mean, the the guys. I mean, the guys on that defense look great. And then on the offense, you've got uh, Amari Cooper and Jimmy Garoppolo and Carlos Hyde and a halfway decent decent uh, halfway decent offensive line. And you've got Kittle and you've got Selleck, who are both good enough blockers to use, but also can be used in the run game. I mean. You get all of these options, and you really don't have to give up anything. And now you've built your team into a contender off of you know one trade down that really doesn't hurt you anyway. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I would do it. Um, I forget my point to where we started this, but I guess what I'm saying is is uh, that you know the defense play call was just bad all over. I mean, they allowed a team without a real threat to score on every possession except for one, which is hard to do. It is hard to let another team, when, they, when they're when they trying to drop balls too, to let a team score on every possession except for one. It's just, just a nightmare of a game. Is there another team in the NFL whose number four corner hurts them as much as uh, uh, Bryce McCain seems to consistently harm the Titans' defense? Not when your scheme is as predictable as Dick LeBeau's. Not when your defensive backs do the same thing all the time. I mean, we don't, we generally don't follow wide receivers. We don't usually bracket coverage unless it's a team like the Texans who have one wide receiver to worry about. You know, we don't use our linebackers in coverage correctly. We don't have two safeties that can cover. So you really end up going a lot more man across the board. and Or you go, you know, you stay on this side, you stay on this side, and Logan Ryan's going to go in the slot. And, you know, that's fine if you've got a, a Dory Jackson who's really rangy and who's shown that he can deflect passes and all that. And if you've got somebody like Logan Ryan who can play out, he's tough and he's physical on the run. When Bryce McCain's out there, you know, I'll even stay away from LaShawn Sims because he has shown that he can be okay. And the moment's not too big enough or not too big for him, you know, if he needs to make a play to win a game. But, you know, McCain's out there and for, for I, I don't know what happened because for stretches last year, he was not a bad corner. I mean, there were times last year when, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a high bar, but he was clearly the best corner on the team. And now, I mean, he just, if he's not holding, he's missing assignments or missing tackles. Or I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's those things where I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, because maybe if we had a better pass rush, he wouldn't be in coverage so long. But maybe if he was better in coverage, we'd get a better pass rush. I, I, it's one of those things that's hard for me to identify. But all I know is when he's out there, it scares me. And generally, I'm right to be scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, let, let's move on for, for now anyway, to talk about the Titans offense, not just in this game, but let's kind of 
survey how the season has gone for them. Because last year, this team had a very dominant rushing attack. And it was assumed that Derrick Henry would improve, which he really has, uh, but that DeMarco Murray wouldn't you know, regress as much as he has, that the offensive line would remain as uh, uh, dominant as they were last year. And then you bring in Corey Davis, Eric Decker, who has been pretty good for the Titans this year. You, you bring in Taewon Taylor, who, if nothing else, as a rookie, can be kind of a gadget guy. Uh, and you bring in Jonu Smith to sort of replace Anthony Fasano. And it has just blown up in their face. I mean, it, it has been a disaster all season long on offense. I saw a stat yesterday where uh, the game against the 49ers yesterday, in which Mariota had a really good game, was his first 200-yard passing game in weeks. That's that. I mean, obviously the Titans are not running an ancient offense, but I don't care what offense you run. That's bad. That's really bad. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point to say that the Titans are running an offense is a stretch. <laughs> I mean, they're really. I mean, nothing they do looks like a, it, it is coming from a playbook. It looks like, you know, the offensive line is very talented, and when they when they know who they're blocking, they're very good at doing it. Sometimes they're just they just don't see a guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and a lot of times we don't notice that because Mariota gets the ball out quick and we wonder why that pass was a little bit too far and outside. That's because he's learned from, you know, throwing interceptions when they can be prevented over the last two years that, okay, maybe you don't give that guy a chance right here, you know, wait for the next down, you know, live to fight another down kind of thing. But, you know, sometimes Jack Conklin gets beaten inside because he's a bigger, you know, he's not, he's still not a bad offensive tackle. He's still a high quality right tackle. And he probably deserves to go to the Pro Bowl every year because of the position he plays. And if you were really electing right tackles and left tackles, um, but left tackles go to the Pro Bowl, right? The right tackles usually don't. So, by the way, we find will, out about that stuff tomorrow. So that'll be exciting. A bit of a relief from the pain Titans fans are, are under. Oh, yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, Kevin Byard, who will probably make it, and then maybe one other non-Brett Kern or Ryan Suckup. Yeah, uh, I, I, Kern will make it, Byard will make it, and I could see uh, Wesley Woodyard, uh, uh, what's his name, on the Taylor the One. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and Delaney Walker. Those are the three that I think would have a legitimate chance. Yeah, that, those all make sense. Um, Delaney Walker... Of course, should have. I should have said Delaney Walker. I don't know why uh, it wasn't in my head. You know, Murray will get some votes, which will make me insane. But um, Murray's yeah, you not know, going to the Pro Bowl. Murray is not no. going to the Pro Bowl. No, no, no. Um, but I, I, I digress. You know, like I said, I, there's some very clear players who deserve to be in the Pro Bowl, but not as many as last year. Um, anyway, the offense um, – Let's see, what were we talking about exactly? The offense. And, and you had said just, it's it, a joke to even it, say they run an offense. I, I, I have uh, – the reason I kind of got distracted is because I have Derrick Henry's page pulled up and it makes me just furious because I look at it and he's uh, gotten 30 more attempts this year and he's he's gotten uh, over 170 more yards. He's averaging more yards a carry. He's got his long – long as 75 which is more than three times as long last year he's got five touchdowns just like last year he's run for 34 first downs it means he's running for a first down on over a third of his carries so 
you, you know, uh, we talk about this offense and how it struggles and all that. You know, the offensive line has their issues like we talked about. The running game is just – it's being managed incorrectly. I wrote, oh, you know, we've talked about it a million times. I wrote about it a few weeks ago. You use Derrick Henry on first and second down and use DeMarco Murray on third down. It's not it's not hard. It's not, not rocket science. You know, you put your passing slash blocking down, uh, blocking back in on third down because he gives you more options and more utility there. The guy that you have to have on the field uh, on third and one, which they've shown us, that's the guy they, they have told us by how they play him that he must be on the field in third and one, should be on the field all the time. Mm-hmm. He's the guy you're essentially saying, I don't know if he can break a home run, but I know that he can get forward progress and get that yard even when everybody knows that's coming. And what that tells me in the offense they run right now is that they are playing Murray when they know they shouldn't because they're admitting – He's not good enough to get that one yard, and he showed us that on third and two this week that killed us. And what they're saying is is that we need the better of the two backs for the short yardage game to go in, forgetting the fact that Henry is also your biggest chance at you know a home run and all that kind of stuff. But the, the Titans contradict themselves the way they play Henry because Henry should play so much more, and it's so frustrating because – he doesn't do well to start because they set him up for failure. They set him up with these big toss sweeps that he has to move laterally that don't work. They don't let him just run downhill in a, you know, belly. You know, if they would let him run that Luke Stalker fullback, by the way, Luke Stalker, good game. Um, if they would let him run that Luke Stalker belly lead play where he comes through the hole and he provides a crease and they say, you just hit that. And then once you're clear of that, you can bounce out. He would be, a huge part of this offense, but mm-hmm. they won't do it. There's no use talking about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the wide receivers, I've no, I've no problem with how they played yesterday. Um, there was a play where Decker could have gotten a first down, I think, and he kind of shortchanged it, but that was the worst play of his on a day where he was very good. I mean, he was constantly, you know, running himself open with his routes. It, he looked, you know, he didn't drop the pass that he usually drops and that he has over the last couple of weeks. That was the Eric Decker I thought we were going to get all season. The guy who could almost compete with Rashard Matthews as a wide receiver one and who would be used in specific situations like third down when you needed a guy to convert. And he was that. Rashard Matthews, Mariota was six of six going to him uh, in a touchdown. He had a perfect passer rating. I mean, they, they always have chemistry and they always will. The fact that he's not targeted 10 to 12 times every game is again malpractice by Rubisky. uh taewon taylor was criminally underused Corey davis was used incorrectly and he almost had a deep shot even you know through the bad play calling so so i mean i don't have any problems with them walker had his worst game of the year uh as a, as kind of the cherry on top of the sunday that was yesterday oh, he was terrible yeah, Walker had a fumble that was uh, the team's lone tur- the lone turnover in the game, I believe, um, mm-hmm. other than the interception that it should have counted. Um, but he, you know, he was uh, it's just trying to do too much. You can't be mad at him because that's what makes him great. And you know, he just lost the ball on his way down, like players do sometimes. And I can forgive that. The thing that's hard to forgive if, is the pass where Mario 
Mariota threw it, I mean, perfectly. Put it in his hands, and Walker missed it. And Walker never misses that pass, and he missed it that time. And, you know, he missed not a similar pass, but he also missed a pass he should have caught in the end zone against the Steelers. He has not been as good in the red zone as he was last year, which may be a reason why the Titans are kind of struggling to punch it in more often than they have. And maybe if he's more productive or maybe if he's healthier or whatever, those numbers are better. But it's one of those things where I think Walker is a great player and he's got to be on the field as much as you can possibly get him. But if he can't kind of find that pop that made him so good uh, in the red zone last year, they may have to start using John U. Smith in that position. If, you know, again, if, malarkey will be proactive in a move instead of you know waiting a year too late like he's doing with murray Mm -hmm. yeah so i honestly think with this offense and i said this before the show and i've kind of said this for a while it all goes back to the running game last year the running game was good and that's what allowed them to have a moderately successful passing game to players like kendall wright and tajay sharp whereas this year they bring in the, these really high-caliber receivers. They, they give Rashard Matthews, uh, Eric Decker, and, and Corey Davis to help him. But because the running game has regressed so much, the passing game has been useless because it's always third down and 12 or 13 because the running game lost yards and, and teams are selling out with blitzes and, and you know prevent type of coverages. Yeah, I mean... It's hard because it all goes back to the same thing. I mean, it's just a mismanagement of talent. Like, this team has to be able to run the ball effectively or else it's not going to work the way it was run last year, which is Rubisky's only real success as a coordinator. So if you can't run the ball effectively, you are shooting yourself in the foot from the get-go. And there's a couple of things you can do to fix that. You, You can be more creative. You can run jet sweeps and action off that. You can run a fullback like Luke Stalker, and when it's working, you don't immediately go away from it for no reason or try to move him out to wide receiver to be cute. Um, you can change you know, your blocking assignment where you know instead of pulling guards, you go more like stretch left, stretch right. You know, there's, there's several things you can do to fix that, but when it's such a big part of your offense – and teams are taking it away, and for six or seven weeks, you don't have an answer to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do to change after, by the way, Malarkey has come out and said, this is an easy thing to fix, and, you know, we're here. You know, we're waiting for the fix six weeks later. Uh, You know, if you don't have a counter for teams specifically trying to take away your strength like every team will – then what are you doing? I mean, why? what qualifies you to be an offensive coordinator? I could have called last year's offense. I could have told everybody, look, you know, we're running the ball well, so let's keep running it well, and then we'll run play action. Like, that's an easy thing to do. When when the other team says, okay, we're going to take away your running ability, that's when it's hard to be an offensive coordinator, and that's when people make their money. And, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the the lack of being able to adapt is a fireable offense, and somebody's got to take the blame in the organization for that. Um, I'm going to do something now that scares me a little bit, but I'm going to put you in a position where you are in complete control of the Tennessee Titans. 
And there's been lots of calls lately for your head coach to be fired in addition to your offensive coordinator. What do you do this offseason? Because I'll tell you my ideal scenario. It's that Malarkey stays for the purpose of continuity. You get him a real offensive coordinator that seems to know what he's doing. And and maybe Dick LeBeau retires or, or you demote him and you get someone like a Vance Joseph or, or an up-and-coming defensive mind. Uh, but I, I'm going to let you have the reins right now. Okay. So – I'm I'm gonna kind of take some creative liberty here, and you know, it's not gonna be what everybody wants to hear because everybody wants me to say that I would go out and hire Josh McDaniels, and that you know it makes so much sense because of Robinson, and and I you know, okay, but I I I believe that to an extent. I think you know Belichick covers up a lot of. Here's what I do. So tomorrow I go out and fire Mike Malarkey. I like Mike Malarkey. He's a great guy. He can be my tight ends coach. That's that's probably where he needs to be. In fact, one day, if my next offensive coordinator leaves, he might even be my offensive coordinator because he had some great years in Atlanta. But he, he's not going to be my head coach, and he's not going to, you know, he won't take a demotion to be a, a, an offensive coordinator. So I'm going to go ahead and let him go and part ways, and I wish him nothing but the bets. I am firing. Uh, Dick LeBeau, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and clean house because I'm going to assume nobody is going to stay with him. Uh, so my first call is to Jim Schwartz. I make him you know, a great offer. I say, hey, I know you love Tennessee. Come be my head coach. You can come back here you know, where your career really took off and where you really you know, had Albert Hainsworth and those great defenses. You're my head coach. I know that everybody wants to go offensive head coach. I want a guy who's really good at his side of the ball, and I know Jim Schwartz is an excellent defensive defensive coach, and I think he's learned from his you know faults in Detroit and all that. So he's he's my new coach. Uh, I want him to bring along John DeFilippo with him, uh, the quarterback coach for the field for the Eagles right now. Um, he is he is uh, been the quarterback coach for Derek Carr and Carson Wentz, who you know. When when he's been with both of those people, they have either broken rookies or broken rookie records records, or you know, like Carson Wentz was this year, where he was on pace to be MVP and he was the best quarterback. You know, that's my guy. I'm saying, look, here's your pro- here's your next project. It's Marcus Mariota. He's ninety percent complete. We just didn't know how to use him. You've got ten percent to you know, kind of clean up with him, and then use him the best way you see fit. So now I've got my quarterback guru as my offensive coordinator. I've got uh, my uh, defense, my uh, you know unofficial defensive coordinator as defensive coordinator, and I go out and I hire John Spagnolo to be my actual defensive coordinator. I think he'll get, uh, I think he'll get fired or whatever you want to call it in New York after he's the interim. And I think it's a shame because he's a really good defensive coordinator. So now I've got the guy responsible for building a really good defense in New York and a guy responsible for building several really good defenses over his career. And I've got all that defensive brain power in one room. And I say, look, you've got to face Sean Watson. You've got to face Andrew Luck and you've got to face a garbage uh, offense in uh, Jacksonville. So that's your job is figure out how to stop those two running quarterbacks and then it'll be on our offensive coordinator to figure out how to beat Jacksonville because that's really how you're going to have to beat them. 
and that's that's their job is to win the division. So that that's that's what I'm doing with my personnel. That's my head coach. That's my defensive coordinator, and that's my offensive coordinator. You know that that sounds so good. It's not going to happen. We but we both know that's no. not going to happen. But you know, I, these people. I want to address the Josh McDaniels people because I think what you just said makes a hundred percent more sense than Josh McDaniels. Because Josh McDaniels, people hated him when he was in Denver. And let's not forget that when Jim Schwartz was in Detroit, they made the playoffs. And Calvin Johnson almost broke Jerry Rice's receiving record. So clearly he knows, hey, if I have a Hall of Fame caliber receiver, I should throw him the ball 20 times a game. Whereas I think this staff would be hesitant to do that for the purpose of like being predictable or whatever, you know? Yeah, I mean... Like you said, it's not going to happen, and that's what makes me furious. I like Josh McDaniels mainly not because of the Tom Brady or anything else, but because of Jimmy Garoppolo, like we were talking about earlier. It, yeah. You know, as the lead offensive mind in the room, what he did with Brissett and Garoppolo is, is pretty impressive. I mean, he took two guys, one from, what was it, Eastern Illinois? Yeah. Is that where Garoppolo And, and, and Garoppolo, one- when he started his career, I watched him his first preseason. He was not good. He was airmailing passes throwing to defensive backs for interceptions. So Garoppolo was a project. Don't act like he was this holy Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, if he was a can't-miss prospect, he would have gone first. You know, he, you know, he wouldn't have had all this other crap that he had to go through. He wouldn't have been a backup. So he molded him into a good quarterback. And then he was good enough to take a guy who Jacoby Brissett – was not a good college quarterback. I mean, I hate to tell you, but he just wasn't. Like, I mean, I watched him play. I was never impressed with him. And he molded him into an NFL quarterback the way that college coaches couldn't. I mean, so I've seen that guy be bad and then be turned good by good coaching. And he reworked his fundamentals. He made him work better in a system. He made him, you know, a better athlete. I mean, just across the board. I mean, just just a better player. So, you know, it's it's hard for me to say that he's going to be a bust for sure wherever he goes next. Especially when everybody and their mom, who has a connection to the uh, Patriots, who is just trying to get some brownie points with Belichick, will tell you that. Josh McDaniels has really worked hard and studied under Belichick and really, you know, learned from his mistakes. I don't know if that's true, but Belichick wants you to know that, that he thinks that's true for whatever reason. I don't know if he's just wanting good things for Josh McDaniels and he thinks that because they've been together so long, he deserves that step up. Because that is the kind of guy Belichick is, you know, if you read anything about him. So, but I, I don't know why he wants that information out. But anybody who's all you know always groveling at Belichick's feet is ready to sing the praises of Josh McDaniels. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But more so than Tom Brady looking good, I credit him with the other two looking good now that they've left. So, I don't think it would be a great idea, but I do think it would be better than letting Malarkey be the coach next year. If the Titans do keep Mike Malarkey. Do you think it will be with staff changes? Like, not what you would do, because they're going to keep Mike Malarkey unless the Titans lose the next two games and miss the playoffs. If they make the playoffs, they're keeping Malarkey. However, do you think this is like a Mike Munchak scenario where they say, okay, we'll keep you, but you're going to have to make some changes to your staff because this just isn't working out the way it is right now? 
Because I, I think that is something that, that Amy Adams Strunk and, and John Robinson would be willing to do. Yeah. So, you know, again, going back to should versus, you know, what will happen, you know, Robinson should be given free reign to say, you know, I want to fire him or whatever. I don't think that'll happen. Um, and, and that's that's always tough because you want the guy controlling the players that go to your team to be the guy that controls who the coach is. But I think he'll be told, and I think I think it'll come from Amy Adam Strunk, obviously, that, you know, Malarkey's going to be the head coach next year because this is the most wins they've had in back-to-back years in a long time, which, you know – for as much as I don't like the way they've won, they have won games. Um, I don't like accepting the fact that eight and eight or nine and seven is good enough. But from where you've come from to where you are now, I think that's uh, understandable. I guess to say that you know you you will be given the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that they'll say, look, you know. We've got to have serious talks about offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. You know, your bottom half in the league in both categories. By the way, I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. There's only two stats that really matter in football, and that's points allowed and points you know scored. That it's it's what decides who wins and loses every game. I mean, I can tell you who wins and loses every game based on who (laughs) scored them. I mean, that's just how it goes. So when I see tweets about how they're third in rush defense and 18th in pass defense, I don't care about that. How What are they in points? And they're not good in either. So, you know, your coordinators are not getting the job done. And, you know, at a certain point, you have to hold those guys accountable no matter how well they may be stopping one facet of the game. Because if I put 11 guys on the line of scrimmage, I may be the number one pass de- or rush defense in the, in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Throw it to the wide open receiver that I'm leaving uncovered. So just being good at one thing doesn't make you a good, you know, defense or offense or whatever. So, you know, that that's kind of a long diatribe. My point is that I think that Malarkey wants to be around this team enough that he would say, Yeah, I'll let these guys go, even though they're my friends. Because I think He did it with Bobby April. There's some precedent there. Yeah. And I and I think that Dick LeBeau is not not doesn't have one foot out the door, but I think if you told him tomorrow that he could retire or that he could be an assistant to the head coach and have less responsibility, he he wouldn't bat nine. He'd say okay, because that's what he came over to do. People forget he's not just dying to be a defensive coordinator. He was the assistant when Ray Horton was the defensive yep. coordinator, and and I I mean I've talked to players on that team and they have said that it wasn't Dick LeBeau calling plays; it was Horton. For as much as we all wanted to believe otherwise, they say Horton always told me the play. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. And, and he already is technically assistant head coach, I believe, along with Steve Waterson. Uh, really? Is Waterson assistant head coach? I'm almost I mean, positive. They're like 85 years, so it might as well be. But, you know, good for him. But, yeah, I you know, I, I sent out a tweet earlier tonight um, – to a guy named Chad Forbes who runs an account called uh, NFL Draft Bites, and he's got some level of connection. I don't know if he's ta- talks to agents or talks to players or talks to GMs or whatever, you know. But he he is a guy who has said that he has sources on some things that have you know come to fruition that 
nobody expected. And I asked him, I said, you know, what are the chances that the Titans make some changes? And he said he expects Malarkey to replace Rubisky and that Dirk Cutter is a potential fit and that he could see Spanos as a you know possible DC promotion with LeBeau on the staff. Uh, all that stuff sounds fine to me. I mean, I'm not in love with Cutter, but I think he was a better quarterback or a better offensive coordinator than head coach. So, you know, okay, I get it. Spanos is a guy that a lot of people are impressed with across the league, and he's been a guy who has NFL experience before he came back from college. So, you know, I, I'm not partial one way or the other to it. I would much rather have Jim Schwartz, but – you know, if if you've got to have a guy, you know, if the options are to keep the status quo or to make a change, I think you have to lean make a change. Mm, yeah. So uh, as we close out this episode, we're going to play a game called uh, Quote Translator. I'm, I'm going to read you three quotes from people within the Titans organization, and uh, I'm going to need you to translate those quotes for me. So first quote Richard Matthews, it seemed to work when we were going no huddle. I think he, being Marcus Mariota, uh, should be in control. Uh, Terry Rubisky has no finger on the pulse and has no idea what he should run. But when Mariota's under under center and calling the plays, he can see the defense and understands what needs to Quote number two from head coach Mike Malarkey. We ran the ball on third down and two because we didn't want to risk getting sacked. Uh, I was playing not to lose. And finally, 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, I love it when they blitz us like that. It makes everything a lot easier. Kevin Byard had a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) That means because a lot of times, you know, there was – a couple of plays he sh- he could have easily had a two interception game like we talked about earlier the the one to Walden that was a weird call and the one this only quote I'm gonna explain yeah. and, and the so, one and Cersei, Cersei could have had one too yep Cersei could have had one too and he just it just didn't track the ball correctly so I mean and a lot of his passes were over the middle of the field and if Byard has a better day he you know gets that interception that puts him back in the tie for the league you know leader but. You know, Byron had a bad day. We all know Avery Williamson is not the guy you ever want in coverage. And LeBeau kept gambling. So, I mean, uh, that, that's that's what he's saying is is that Kevin Byron had a bad day. Well, uh, we've kind of come to the end of our time. I, I think we have thoroughly explained this game. Uh, but l- let's look at this real quick before we, before we head out of here. Uh, the Titans... If the Jacksonville Jaguars fall this week to the 49ers in Santa Clara, which, considering the team that we watched this week, is a legitimate possibility. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say that Jimmy Garoppolo could beat the Saxonville defense and and that Blake Bortles could fall victim to Solomon Thomas and DeForest Buckner and guys like that. If that were to happen and the Titans somehow upset the Rams, you would still get a de facto AFC South championship in Week 17. And even if that doesn't happen, the Titans still have a pretty good chance of making the playoffs. So before you go about wanting to fire everybody, let's wait a couple more weeks before we do that. 
uh, or go with your heart and fire everybody because they are terrible and you should have no faith in this coaching staff. But all your points are correct. We we do have like a 65% chance to make the playoffs. If we win one game, I think it's basically over. I think uh, because we own tiebreakers with Baltimore and with Buffalo. You know, at, at the end of the day, this team said at the beginning of the year that their goal was very explicitly to win this division. And it's not a great chance, but there's still a chance that that happens. And until it doesn't happen, I don't think it's quite yet fair. Maybe a week from now it will be completely fair. But not quite yet is it fair to say that this coaching staff has failed at their mission. I think that's the level head in me, maybe even the devil's advocate speaking. But for now, and again, maybe next week, I'll be on here saying everyone needs to be fired. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.